0: conversations with gipr which is the stock symbol for generation income properties is the only podcast hosted by a ceo of a public net lease reit while there is plenty of information and analytical data to help you understand the net lease reit sector i take a look at what it takes to grow a company and ask our guests some of the tough questions on how they did the same If you're interested in learning more about just what you can find in a spreadsheet, Conversations with GIPR may be for you.
1: David Serbelman is the CEO for Generation Income Properties. All opinions expressed by David or any guest of conversations with GIPR are solely opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the company. Any remarks in this podcast, other than purely historical information, may include forward-looking statements and as such are subject to the risks and uncertainties that are discussed in our SEC filings. And actual results may vary materially from those suggested in any forward-looking statements. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.
0: Before we get to today's guest, a quick word from our sponsor, The Economy Analyst, real estate's newest economic forecasting analyst is T-E-A, T, The Economy Analyst. T knows that this time is different or just an opportunity to be a strategic reset. When you need to ride out the storm over the economic roller coaster and can bounce back to survive the recession, T provides the data to say whatever you want without the consequences of needing to be right. Remember, T is your economic key. So in researching today's guest, uh, I was really surprised by his background, um, because we've known each other a long time now, and, and I learned a lot about him and your, your pedigree. Uh, so I didn't realize all that you had accomplished. So um, Pedigree I guess,
1: being American mutt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I guess that means we're real friends. So, disclosure, uh, because we've been focused on the person more so than the accomplishments. And, and that was fun for me. So, he created his first startup and sold it to monster.com, which was the recruiting website in its day. He then went on to build and sell two other staffing companies that were uh, both sold, most le- recently, Harmony Healthcare. Uh, which provided staffing services to 11 of the top 15 healthcare systems in the United States and actually to a Fortune 100 company. Uh, let me introduce uh, to our audience the other Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Yeah, good. I think it's still morning. <laughs> uh, Chris, we're so happy you're here because um, we've been talking about you being on the podcast for about a year now eight months or so and because your story is very unique but topical about what we do here at GIPR Um, and and that's growing companies and that's a passion of yours so start off with your first company at 26 and you have this idea you're like I'm gonna start a company and grow it and it's literally just you at that point
1: I think we'd have to dial back probably a little bit earlier. I um, I fell uh, backwards into my career. I uh, certainly was not anything you ever get an education for, um, but. It, I became very successful uh, very quickly within that organization. The organization was acquired. Um, and I recognized that these organizations not only can be built at a relatively low cost, a low investment, uh, it's really pure headhunting and not staffing, which is a little bit different. You get paid a fee based on the person's compensation and placing them with the organization. Sounds and, like you've said that before. Yeah. Yeah. A <laughs> quick. A quick. Um, and I recognized that they had value. Um, And when the company was sold, I had a decision to make. I could go with the company that acquired us. And it would mean signing a non-compete non-solicist. And back then they certainly held weight. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it was with uh, no wife, no kids, no debt, you know, uh, trying it on on my own. And I felt that there could be some differences made that I thought would give me a specific advantage. Um, The other reason I will say that I started my own company is that I also struggled to get along in teams. Early in my career, I was, um, I'd say, brash. And perhaps I I was given wonderful words of wisdom by a good friend named Ken Falkman. And Ken said to me, Chris, it's not what you're saying, but how you're saying it and how people perceive what they hear you saying. He was speaking specifically to you. Specifically to me. Right. I also had another boss that said that, (laughs) um, that in a baseball metaphor, I have a fantastic fastball (laughs) <laughs> but they're going to hit your fastball. You need to develop a curve, change up and slider. <laughs> so young man in a hurry, I think, was, was where I was at. Uh-huh. And I, though I think if I had not have had that approach to things, I probably wouldn't have jumped into uh, starting my own organization. If you didn't have just the fastball. Is that what you're saying? If I didn't have the brashness that got me in the criticism in the first place. Mm-hmm. So within, I think, and it's funny because I was talking to my, my son this morning, and I think your everyone has a superpower. Mm-hmm. Your superpower is typically your greatest weakness. My greatest weakness was, was anxiety and was fear. Um, fear of the future, uh, projecting, and then anxiety builds mm-hmm. into it. And what I learned was that if you take that anxiety and you turn it into um, into aggression. If you take that fear and turn it into strength, that you become far more powerful because you're using your greatest weakness as your strength. And and it it, it really happens. And I, I, and almost everyone I know, I can tell them their their superpower and how to turn it around. They just have to be open minded to doing it.
0: We yeah. got deep really quick. Sorry, that was awesome. But you were asking yeah. Genesis, and that's right. how
1: I think it it started for me because I had a lot of very difficult circumstances in my young life, um, leading up to that, that had taught me, um, that it's, it's a lot less painful to do the hitting than to get hit. Mm-hmm. And I think any running back and defensive back will tell you that very quickly.
0: There's some very, what's the word kind of binary results between being a lone wolf and a team member. And you identified at 25 or younger, that you are a lone
1: wolf. Well, it, it really happened because to me be in Because you, you had to build teams to grow a company. It, you did. And, it, and right. it had to be in sports. I, I didn't like team sports. Mm-hmm. I didn't like to have to count on someone else being successful for me to be successful. And I also didn't want to let other people down. And that was probably the, the greater weight for me mm-hmm. was I felt letting other people down so deeply and so painfully that... I couldn't let other people down. And I think that's why I ended up wrestling in high school and swimming in high school mm-hmm. and doing a lot of individual uh, things. Um, because I felt like it, it's all me and I'm completely accountable. And I think mm-hmm. that played out later in life as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So you make the, de- you get the advice that you have a fastball and that you should <laughs> <be> develop <laughs> right. That you're going to get cut your first year unless you develop. And you took that as motivation
1: to say, all right, I'm going at this. I, I can, I'm can. i smart. I can be right. But how do I say I'm right? How do I approach people? How do they perceive what I'm saying when I approach people? Mm-hmm. And that's really the curve change up in slider. I don't think it, it's indicative of of someone being manipulative. I mm-hmm. think it's the ability to present an idea, a conversation, a concept to someone understanding how they're going to hear it, not what you have to say. And what, what was the company? Let's get into that. Burlington Wells. Okay. It was the first company in Burlington, Massachusetts, where I spent some of my time growing up. And Wells Beach, Maine, where my family has spent time for many generations. But based in Tampa. But we're based in Tampa. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it, right. Burlington Wells. It also sounded like a law firm. Right. So it was like Burlington Wells is calling, let's talk to them. Right. Um, right. Yeah, we had a little bit of that. But um, uh, but yeah, the first company, it was me by myself in executive suite. Yeah. And um, and. I ended up um, bringing a couple of people that worked with me before, so they kind of knew what they were getting into. And uh, and you could afford that? Uh, no, um, <laughs> they came in on draws and um, and on and hope. Yeah. Uh, but I had signed a couple of good contracts right. and that I saw would see us through uh, the tough times. Um, but uh, I will tell you a, a quick story. So I started Burlington Wells. Now, I could have stayed with the company that acquired us. I mm-hmm. was going to have an office. Right. I was going <laughs> to have a title for the first time. I was going to was a big... Big, Robert Half was named the company, so multi-billion dollar sales Sure, And I left to start this on my own. And I remember in those first three months, everything that could go wrong, went wrong. Uh, clients that had com- absolutely committed to me went on hiring freezes. It was the recession of 1990, 1991, uh, post uh, first Gulf War. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember driving up 275 to my apartment, and I remember literally I started crying. Mm-hmm. And how could I, everything be so wrong? How could I have been so wrong about it? I could have just stuck to what I was doing. I could have just, and instead I was making no money. I was, bro, I think my first year I made, um, the company made $25,000. And you had to pay out to your employees. And And so I sold my car. I sold Mm -hmm. a cool Porsche I bought when I started being successful. And I sold, uh, I actually had bought a small house. I sold that. Um, I had to go to Orlando to avoid a Mm non-compete. So I was working out of Orlando. I was driving I-4 every day. Oh, that sounds awful. Right. So it was really, it was, it was really a hard time. Um, But out of, you know, out of those difficult times, um, um, you know, you're going to either say you're a victim and, and quit and give up or or you're going to drive through. And I learned from some early lessons in life that, uh, you keep going and, um, and see what happens. Wait, you're jumping way ahead. Sorry. So, sorry, you're crying. All right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you're right. So I'm, I'm driving up 275 and I'm, right. I'm literally in tears. How could I have done everything was so wrong? How could I have been right. so wrong? How, right. and, and, and just everything came, came really crashing down on me. And, right. and, and then what did I do? I, I, you know, went to the gym and you know, you got friends there. Back then people didn't wear headsets in their ears, they actually <laughs> talked to each other. And yeah, Jim Gym has lost its soul. That's a podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, so you go to the gym and your friends are there. They don't even knew what I did for a right. I did for living. They just made jokes and right. everything's funny. And 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 then, and, <laughs> and, you, and then you go to bed and you eat your bowl of cereal and you go to bed yep. and you wake up the next morning and, and you do it again. Mm-hmm. And you keep doing it. Um until either, you know, they, they, you know, they cart you away or you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it was, uh, it was successful.
0: So you're jumping ahead again. We, we got it. deep breath. <laughs> so, so we, um, you make that decision and you're still at it, right? You're crying, you go to the gym and you decide to just keep going. And then what in that first company that you had as a young person, cause this is our audience and, that's listening to this, and they're interested in hearing your story of how you kept going, even though you weren't making a lot of money, you probably had expenses. Um, And like, what was that inflection point
1: for you to say like, it's working? it's very, being a headhunter is very difficult. There's no consistent revenue stream. I place a chief financial officer of a company, I get a $20,000 check and then it's over. Now, hopefully that CFO will hire people from you in the future, Mm -hmm. but there's no, it's like much like selling a house. Mm -hmm. There's no, you don't get a next house. Mm -hmm. There's no continuous revenue stream like later on in my career. Mm -hmm. Um, So even the things that went right, it's over. Mm -hmm. You have to reinvent yourself. But out of that, Dave, was where where the difference came in. I started recognizing that there were metrics and methodologies within our business that I don't think had ever even been discussed. We never discussed them at the place I first came from. They never discussed, oh, was, you made outbound calls, but you didn't they didn't talk about how to use those outbound calls to develop people. How do you use the time on the phone? If you have a lot of time on the phone, and you're not getting contracts contract signed, it means you may be talking too much, too superfluous, mm-hmm. too, um, too, too not about the, we- about the weather and not about selling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you spend a little time on the phone and you're not getting contracts, you need to increase your conversations, ask more penetrative mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And each metric gave me the idea that I could coach and teach and train off each and every metric as I saw someone. So I came up with an original six or seven metrics. And, um, and, and those measurements really made a difference between us and the next company. And frankly, when we're Bought 10 years later by monster.com. That's what they wanted. They didn't even really want me. They wanted the system that I had built that I put in because they were buying other staffing companies. They so saw that system as unique at that time.
0: And you're the only one at that time concentrating on operations
1: organization of operations organization and developing step-by-step problem. My, my brain it's funny because i'll often describe my brain as like a flow chart mm-hmm. so my whole brain is an if-then scenario <laughs> so so those are theorems com- right <laughs> is that it i was yeah. never gonna jump anyways um but to me it was a methodology that i could teach and train uh-huh. and if there's a methodology if there's a science to this wait a second now we've got something. Mm-hmm. What I'd been taught when I came to the business was heading was all art. It was all getting a CEO or a CFO on the phone. And we did accounting, finance, and IT. And talking to them about, you know, your favorite sports team. And then somehow opening up a conversation. And maybe they like you and they'll sign a contract Schmiz. with you. Schmiz. I found yeah. that if you presented people with specific questions and took those answers and each answer had a multitude of possible answers Mm -hmm. that you can give that salesperson, you could actually create, um, a a scientific method that would then yield a a higher result. And, 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 and that's, that's what happened over the next 10 years.
0: And so you're quantifying what most
1: people would consider a very subjective business. And then you bring databases in, and some of the things that were that were um, that we showed some insight on that we got in on very early. Mm-hmm. Um, then the, that was that was the that was the real that was the real launching point and the real and the real difference. Isn't it
0: amazing? Like this
1: is so standard now. It, it is, but right. you didn't have computers, you didn't right. have the internet, you couldn't right. talk. If I wanted to talk to you, I wrote you a letter, or I called you, <laughs> and put it in the mail, put a stamp on it. Um, <laughs> You know the the world's changed, and everyone's ideas now are are, are taken to everyone else. Even an original idea is, it, it was around the world at a thousand miles an hour. Right. Um, so it, it's it's very different to hold um, unique knowledge uh-huh. um, that you have found something out. I I, I got to tell you a quick story about my first database. This is a this is a great story. Was it so? A, was it a, on a piece of paper? It, <laughs> it's my story. So I was I was. <laughs> uh, I was set up an appointment. This is Burlington Wells. This is 1997. We were it was we were seven years. I had multiple branches in different areas, and and we were getting successful in the southeast and, yeah. and becoming a, a strong player. Um, so I, I got a I got a meeting with an IT guy that I thought was going to talk about we're going to put for the first time computers on desk. I think it's 95. We're going to put a computer on desk. Well, he came in and he started talking to me about. The ability to put all the paper resumes. Now, understand what a good headhunter did was every single night, they came home with all these resumes, hundreds of them. And while they sat and watched TV, they go through resumes of people to call the next day to talk to them about a position, or they maybe they know someone for a position. So he talked about how all these resumes could go in the computer. And that if you type in a word, it will pull that resume up for you. And to me... I, I wanted to hear about what a computer would do. So I thanked him and I thought it was very kind of him. And, right. and he kept talking about this. And I walked him out and I shook his hand. I was driving up the same 275 that I cried on right. 10 minutes <laughs> earlier. And um, it, it hit me like a thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. Wait, he can put all these resumes into a computer and then by a keyword extract. The keywords. So if I'm looking for somebody who's a controller out of a manufacturing company um, that has distribution center capability, um, is a CPA and head startup in public accounting, I can put those keywords in. And it'll give me every single person that anyone in my company put in there. Mm-hmm. This is a game changer. Right. And it was really, I, I called the guy the next day, we put in our first Access database. So you guys are old enough to remember Access. That was part of Microsoft. Right, I, I, it was it was off the shelf when you go into right. Comp right. USA. Yeah, it came in a, uh, bo- came in a box. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. And uh,
1: <laughs> you, you develop your own database, and right. I developed the database, and that allowed us also to take my next company, which hadn't been done at that point in staffing, was work an entire country based on one selling and one centralized location, because huh. we no longer had to have branch offices. Right. We now could just put people in the database. If we mm-hmm. want to build the Minnesota market. We build people in the database in the Minneapolis-St. Paul market, and then we get we can call in and they get positions. Up until then, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. You had to have an office mm-hmm. in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So the, the evolution, you're talking about the evolution of, of technology and the evolution of ideas. Um, some of them I got, that came back to me. It's how you use those ideas. It's how you think of a better way to do something that is typically the most successful key to any company.
0: So you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're a young entrepreneur at this stage and you are organizing. I would people like to use the word disrupting, uh, an industry based on kind of putting in some fairly basic, uh, organizational tools, in today's world, in, right? In groundbreaking, world. absolutely groundbreaking for you. Um, and then you, someone approaches you and says, "You need
1: to start spending money to get even better." And and that's where I broke down. Right. My my fears, my insecurities. I, I, I was a, a terrific operator, but I didn't have any background in SBA loans. Mm-hmm. And which which boy, if there's there's so many avenues to get support. I was literally writing a dollar check out of my checking account and putting into a dollar into the company and hoping it came back as a dollar twenty or a dollar thirty. Right. I also got sued on my non compete and uh and and uh because I was I was uh they, they wanted to keep me down so to speak and uh this they were very powerful so that kind of wiped out my bank I remember I paid the attorney sixty five thousand dollars which was like I was a ton in nineteen ninety every that was penny a ton. every penny I had in the bank wow. every penny and uh but um, but I also had uh, friends. And that, and that's one of the things that is helpful. If you start a company in something that you've already done and you've been successful in, and now you're going to start your own company, it, it's a far greater advantage than if you choose something to go into and you focus on that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did have specific advantages. Remember all those CFOs mm-hmm. I placed? That, that, well, they were now hiring controllers mm-hmm. and accounting managers. And they're hiring from me. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of, um, uh, tech data was one of my first clients. Dank. I can name a bunch of Outback when they were just Outback before they became blooming brands. I placed their CFO there and the first tax manager there. Wow. And, uh, uh, rooms to go. I placed the first controller rooms to go. Uh, the first tax manager, Gil Simon, at, um, at, uh, <laughs> you, rooms Gil. to go. Thank you, Gil. <laughs> a good guy. Um, anyways, um, a lot of good guys. Um, so I, I had some good advantages here in the, in the Tampa yeah. area that, that came to play because they, mm-hmm. they supported me in my little company.
0: But it still was very relationship driven at that mm-hmm. point. Right. So yes, you were putting some operations together and you were hiring and you were uh, spending money on tech, which wasn't called tech then, you know, and data processing, data processing. Right. Did you have the cards? <laughs> you know, like the punch cards, right? No, it wasn't no. quite that bad. <laughs> and, and then you're getting to a scale at some point where people are starting to pay like real attention to you. And what do you think
1: got you to that point? I, I think uh, the metrics... And you know, you never know when you have something, when you do something different, something unique, what the manifestation will be. Not the short term manifestation, that's what everybody looks for, mm-hmm. but the long term manifestation. What the metrics ended up doing, and then our, you know, this we had seven metrics, and then um, each metric had tools underneath each metric on, on how to get better. What it ended up doing was building a very professional, uh, question driven. Um, result-driven organization. Mm -hmm. And that hadn't really been done to this point. At least in headhunting, it had been all purely friendship to friend. I Mm -hmm. went to FSU, you went to FSU. Let's be pals. I play golf, you play golf. Let's be pals. Mm -hmm. Um, And what it ended up yielding was a very, very consistent result within um, the sales staff, within operations, and within really the entire organization. And I, I, and I, I think that even larger companies, Fortune 500 companies now, were starting to say, hey, th- this is a, a great boutique firm to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what... So I never saw the metrics yielding that long-term, consistent professional result, but that that's what it did. And then it did for the next two companies that I started as well. I applied the same methods and, and it yielded bigger results based on bigger um, scale investment. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so back to company one, you getting attention, you're growing it, you're attracting great talent for your company who subsequently attracts great talent for other companies. <laughs> um, and when does someone approach you to buy it? When does Monster come to you and say,
1: all right, now we're talking? Now that that was that we had um, um, doing headhunting, purely headhunting, staffing companies sell. Mm-hmm. They get acquired, they're built to sell. Uh, but headhunting really isn't. Um, because every deal is a one-off deal. Mm-hmm. How do we know you're going to get another mm-hmm. deal? And what if some of your people disappear? Um, what happened to me was I had ended up placing a person, uh, with the company that acquired monster.com TMP worldwide in our organization. Not even I had been involved, but one of the people in my organization had placed a guy that ended up becoming their, uh, VP of investor relations and, um, and he remembered us, and when they started to acquiring, what he remembered was he remembered how he got into a long conversation with my employee about our methodologies, how we approach things. Uh, um, and we weren't even calling them metrics back then; mm-hmm. um, we just called processes, steps, steps. Right. Um, and the steps we followed, and he, he, it stuck with him. And when he was approached by his bosses about starting looking for acquisition targets, it wasn't really the headhunting firm they want. Well, they wanted our high level contacts, Mm -hmm. but but at that point, we had placed lots of CFOs Mm -hmm. and lots of leadership people. Um, and and the other thing they wanted was they wanted that methodology so they could overlay it on top Mm -hmm. of their future acquisitions. And, and, and that's what, what they did. Hmm. Can you say how much? Uh, I think the total sale price was $4.8 million. Isn't that amazing? And you're 36? Uh, at that point, point, thirty six. Thirty six. Yeah, but let's 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 go over the four points. Okay, let's go. do it. First, I had a couple partners, um, <laughs> and, and, and and that's interesting
0: that you took a uh, you took on along the way
1: because I was able to hire people because I took on mm-hmm. uh, two two wonderful people, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Carney and Ken Fulton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken remains a f- very close friend to this day. Um, you met Ken, yeah. I can remember him, yeah. Um, and when I brought them on, they had uh, Mike was a manager of a public accounting firm. He brought a lot of cachet with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken was just a strong uh, producer and a, and a mm-hmm. super smart guy. Um, and they helped me hire people because those they invested in the company. Um, and what I used their investment for is to is to hire people and mm-hmm. actually move out of the executive suite and get real right. offices. Et right. Right. <laughs> um,
0: We've all been there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was. Um, uh, It was, it was an evolutionary process. Nothing was a revolution. Evolutions, Mm -hmm. a lot of things go wrong. Right. And they did. Yeah. Okay. So
0: you have a few dollars in your pocket. Uh, You have a successful exit. Um, Partners are still happy with one another. You're still friends to this day. And...
1: But you don't have a job. Well, I, I was there about six months, and I started realizing that this is a, uh, at that point, a six five, $5 billion dollar size company, huge for nineteen for two thousand. That's right. And Monster is
0: um, still a company.
1: And TMP Worldwide is, yeah. is the world's largest directional advertising firm. I see. Um, and okay. Peter Damaris, uh, mm-hmm. excuse me, that's not Peter. Uh, super, super smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, the uh, um, I realized that I was. Uh, in a situation where uh, what people think about me was more important than what I could do, and that's a bad thing for Chris mm-hmm. because I s- will ruffle feathers. Right, I, I just will. <laughs> I I don't mean to. Um, I, I swear I mean to be nice. You only have the fastball. I will right. <laughs> sometimes, but I will sometimes ruffle feathers. Um, sometimes ruffle them because I get attention. Sometimes right. ruffle them because I'm I I, I you know I'm not afraid to speak and speak my mind and, and say how I feel. Um, and after about six months, I felt like it was just, I, I just really wanted to, to do something else. Okay. So you leave. And it was a successful exit. They didn't mind, yeah. right. um, because I wrestled with feathers and, uh, they took, uh, Burlington Wells and the, uh, most of the organization remained there for, for many years to come. Great. So you feel good about leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And then you sleep late. No.
0: No. You. No, I, I had young children at that time and it was okay. my job taking
1: them to school. Yeah. So I took my my at that time young children to school. We um, should
0: uh, we should let um, them know that uh, Chris's son Hunter is sitting in with us today and he's shaking his head no he didn't.
1: <laughs> 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 it was <once> a while. <laughs> <But> yeah. <laughs> So, right. um, you can you see the, I didn't do a great job with Hunter, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, no, but I, I, what I, I wanted to do was I felt what I had done, um, within headhunting and staffing and the overlay that I saw when we were going through all these processes of acquisition mm-hmm. was that I could, um, write a book. And that those same metrics could be used for other industries and in other ways. So I wrote a, a book and it ended up being published. Mm-hmm. It was a product actually, about mm-hmm. $1,000. And basically it was kind of a how to become a headhunter and and these things. Because the best headhunters come out of their industry that they're in. Mm-hmm. They come out of if they're if you're an accountant CPA, the accountant CPA is mm-hmm. the context you have mm-hmm. and, and that psychology and, and the friendships you build. So um ended up building the product and um, and, and it had a- Was it like a textbook? Uh, no, it was, it was a combination of, 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 a, of a kind of how-to book. It had a DVD that took you through all forms and documents. And it also had a, a, a conversation builder uh-huh. that actually at that time was in an animation, though it looked like a, a, a software. I still have it. Uh, you put it in and basically you say you're making a cold call to a hospital about a CFO and they, it would pop up the conversation. And then it would pop next to it the 10 or 15 expected responses. And then if you click on the response, it would then give you the response you should give. And it was a whole tree of about 20, 2,200, 2,300 conversations that got built into, into this product and and um, it sold. I mean, we actually did an original run of, of 1,000 and um, it, it cost so much to build it. I learned a lot about technology and so much to get it done and so much money up front that it, it really um, hurt my ability to keep going with it. Yeah. And the other thing I found out was when you build a kind of self-help book, people want to, then you want to go there and kind of publicize it I hate traveling. So um, because you
0: probably had to sell a hundred thousand of them. To yeah, to make it right. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. So it, it really, it was great. It was fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's. I, I still have it. I, I don't think anyone can still buy it anymore. Um. But do you I still have a have DVD a player? Of... <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's right. Have... Do they still come in laptops? No. Anyone? Well, All right. No. Anyways, oh. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> The, uh, but uh, <laughs> after I did that, I recognized right. that I wanted to get back in the business, and yeah. I felt like with the proper investment, I could take the company really, uh, really to directions I hadn't thought. Um, mm-hmm. Also, another headhunting company. Well, I felt that the 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 application of the headhunter, the constant calling, the the uh, constantly reinventing yourself, mm-hmm. because once you sell. If it was applied to staffing, now here's this difference in staffing and they all earned a human capital management. Mm -hmm. Okay. But a head iron is where you get paid a fixed fee for placing a person. Mm -hmm. Staffing is where- Performance fee. uh, Performance. So coming in and taking the job. Right. Um, a, A staffing firm, you employ that person. They are your employee. You- lend them to a company mm-hmm. they go in and you charge them let's say a hundred dollars an hour mm-hmm. you pay the person fifty dollars an mm-hmm. hour they cost you twenty dollars an hour in benefits mm-hmm. and you have a thirty um, mm-hmm. percent you have a thirty percent margin mm-hmm. and and you have a continuous building model which is what make them so valuable right so i felt and you have the,
0: these people like under contract right and yep. so there's your recurring revenue there's your recurring
1: revenue yep. and which is the difference mm-hmm. and um in the in the database um what the database allowed us to do now, and this was, I, I, I don't think I was the first one to think about it, maybe the first one to apply it um, the way I did, and mm-hmm. in, in, in the method that I did it, was I felt the database could allow us to look at a unique modalities, that means unique specialty within mm-hmm. anything in the world. Mm-hmm. That offered high margins and tremendous scarcity, mm-hmm. and everybody needed them. Mm-hmm. So I started researching, and I recognized hospitals, healthcare. I felt was the future. Um, mm-hmm. I felt the baby boomers. This what year
0: is this roughly? Two
1: thousand. Mm-hmm. So I figured the baby boomers. I thought now, nah, boy, I got left in my career twenty five years. So I figured the baby boomers were going to be a huge need of of, um, uh, of medical help. Um, I also felt that that the aging population of workers was just incredible how we're talking at 50 year olds that, that there was no one behind them in many of these things. But so I decided to focus on healthcare. And then within healthcare, you can either go clinical, which is if you touch a patient, you're clinical, okay. or you can go with now called the revenue cycle, mm-hmm. the processing of the fees and the, and the medical records and the uh, and ultimately the billing and collection of those things. Mm-hmm. And I want to stay on the revenue cycle side because I, I was always on that side. And I had a lot of friends I had now placed as CFOs at hospitals mm-hmm. and, and leadership positions. So I looked for what was within the revenue cycle that I could run out of one office as a national practice, recruit the entire country, and what could never be done, you could never have this in just Tampa. You can never have an office just doing it. Mm-hmm. So I came up with medical records and specifically coding. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw tremendous inflation. Coders, these medical records coders, which take the translation of the, the code that the doctor or the clinician is giving and converts into money that's now going to be billed to the business office. ICD-9. I, it was back then it was ICD-9 and right. ICD-8, ICD-9, and then went right. to ICD-10, which right. we'll talk about later. Uh-huh. Um, so so I recognize that unique uh, person, their their pay had gone from eight dollars an hour. Within three or four years, they'd gone from eight dollars an hour to about fifteen dollars an hour. That's awesome. And their leadership had gone from a coding manager went from making forty five thousand dollars a year to seventy five thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year. You tell me any other profession in the United States doubled, mm-hmm. nearly doubled yeah. in two years. Mm-hmm. That's scarcity. Mm-hmm. So let me focus there, mm-hmm. and uh, we became. And was that the math? That's the the logic. Yep. To go into that. That's where the logic to go into mm-hmm. it. Um, and
0: were you paying someone to find the data you needed to no. make those decisions? I was
1: using this new thing called, called Google. <laughs> the Google. Um, the Google. Uh, it, 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 it's <laughs> not the Google. <laughs> <laughs>
0: story with the first time he's ever interacted with Google. So I we were saying I was sitting at home and I had and he had his work laptop which he would let me use to play Flash games once in a while when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. And at, at that point, Google had just become like a, a solid thing where you can download it onto your desktop and it actually works. Right. So I
1: doubt so me being young and dipping into things um I downloaded Google and I I and he comes home and he and he gets onto his laptop and he's like
0: "Hunter what is this?" and I'm like "You're in trouble." <laughs> what have you done?
1: He thought it was a virus. And I'm like, no, I swear. I know the wording makes no sense. Right. legit. All right. Well, i will say I'll say right now that if I wasn't born in America, I think I'd be a Krista friendly goat herder in Albany. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, thank God I was born in this country. Yeah. Um, the um so um so where were we? Um, where you found the data to make your decisions? So, you so I, 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 I ended up coming up with coding, uh, medical records coding, and, and it really yielded the results. We were able to call nationally to hospitals uh, throughout the entire country um, and healthcare centers. Uh, we were able to offer coding services that were very, very difficult. At that time, there was no remote. You had to go on site. These people had to travel. Um, we were able to charge uh, large margins and, and markups on uh, on each one. And, um, and the practice took off so much, so I ran out of money again. Mm-hmm. Now, this time I, I ran out of money. I didn't my college education. Can I stop you there yeah. just for a sec?
0: Because I think what our listeners would want to hear is yeah. like, if you're growing a business and you're getting recurring revenue, how can you run out of money? And the okay. answer, the answer is
1: that you're investing in the business. Right. And you're, yeah. oh, and, and, and understand I have to pay the person. I have to pay all my staff. I have to pay all my bills. I don't get paid from the hospital for, well, we did a, we did a darn good job with the collection. We got down to about 47 to 50 days. Mm-hmm. That means you've got nine weeks. Of paying everyone, right? Before you get that money back in, and it's only thirty percent margin on that money anyway. So right. if you do the math to break even, it could take you several months. Now you're adding. As we were at that point, ten or fifteen people a week were right. adding to the payroll because the company is growing. Mm-hmm. I always say, if you show me the books for a staffing company, if they're making money, it's bad <laughs> because that means they're not growing anymore. Because you eat up all your you eat up all your capital mm-hmm. in paying people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's very easy to get yourself into a situation where you literally run out of money. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to I, I I didn't I didn't know how to take loans. I didn't know I I I, I learned later. Mm-hmm. Um, how to manage uh, that part of the business better, but that was part of my education. It happened to me twice. So, but thirty
0: um, percent margins.
1: I'm sure the lenders were saying to you, like, how much do you want? I never even went to a lender. Right. I didn't think, who's going to give me money? <laughs> I, I, I was very, um, I, I, yeah, I was, I was, maybe it's my insecurities, mm-hmm. um, or fears, but I, I never understood that I could have used factoring. I, there were a hundred things I could have done.
0: So how'd you fix it? How'd you fix I running sold, out of money? I
1: sold out. That's, I sold to, uh, that was to, your second exit. Yeah. Good. So I sold on assignment there, but mm-hmm. at the time there were $2.4 billion size staffing company, um, worldwide mm-hmm. operations, a hundred somewhat countries. Um, and, um, and, uh,
0: and how did they find you? Cause I think that's what's interesting to our listeners is like you're a person, right? And you're just one person and you're growing a company and, but you're bringing so much attention to yourselves that you're an acquisition target. For gigantic companies, so how does that happen?
1: It, so I was at a trade show. This one, um, much the same way, you know, falling backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we used to do trade shows, AHIMA, uh, the American Health Information uh, Management Association, which, which used to be called Medical Records. Mm-hmm. And we're at a show, and um, a VP for a uh, for a large staffing company has watched his division of health information management, which is what we we're doing at that point, coders, not grow. Mm-hmm. And he kept hearing about us, kept hearing about Insights, with the name of Insights, kept hearing about Insights. So he came up and, um, and I was didn't that, know who he was. That, that was, what's Insights? Insights was my company. That was the name. Sorry, right. I didn't get Insights. to that. Insights. Um, got it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then his, his company was, was on assignment mm-hmm. and he started talking to me. And I, of course, as I do here, I started running off and of saying, you know, it's metrics driven mm-hmm. and all my ideas. And um, I got a call the next day with the, literally the offer I couldn't refuse. Wow. Uh, they, they, uh, he said, we fly you. We want to fly you out to Calabasas, uh, yeah. where they're based, and right. and said uh, I got out there and it was really wine and dine. And what he wanted to do was miracle miracles. Didn't care about my revenues, didn't really care about my clients. What he wanted was the system. Mm-hmm. He felt that system is why, and the lack of it is why they had struggled so greatly um, to grow. And it's interesting when they did acquire me, they had sixty head count in um, the field after about seven or eight years of, mm-hmm. of um, focusing on. One of the divisions on mm-hmm. on um, uh, on coding, um, within two years we had 225 people working, mm-hmm. um, had grown division revenues from six million to I think, 40 million, mm-hmm. um, and margins also grew. Um, and they decided to overlay my system onto the onto the larger company at that point, and um, and uh, they did, and I got neat travel and it was cool. But <laughs> but really, again, they they didn't buy me per se; they bought the yeah. system. That was what was proprietary to you. I don't know about proprietary, but I was the only one who kind of was, was using it. Now, mm-hmm. now I have to say Knowledge Force, K-Force down the road, which happened to be probably based in Tampa. And mm-hmm. one of the Public company. Pu- right. public one of the largest right. staffing companies in the world who mm-hmm. I competed with constantly. Um, they were doing something very much the same. I felt like they were a little dehumanizing. If you didn't get it right in six weeks, you're gone. And they were very they're mm-hmm. very mechanical in the way they managed people where I was more... I was also looking for that that the, the charismatic quality the the, mm-hmm. the you know I was looking for I had some other materials that we put in mm-hmm. um, that I think we stuck with people a lot longer and mm-hmm. they showed those results. Mm-hmm. Of course, I we mean, stuck with a lot of people a yeah. lot longer; and they didn't show results too.
0: But <laughs> so, what was the life cycle between uh, concept to
1: sale for insights? Yeah. Six years, really short. Ten years for the first one. I yeah. ran out of money quicker. <laughs> I I did a better job. <laughs> right. Actually, I ran out of money by two thousand four. <laughs> right. He doesn't even know, but I took a second mortgage on our house. <laughs> 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 yeah, he, um, But That's um, great. yeah, yeah. That's quick.
0: Okay, and so two thousand six.
1: Now your kids are a little older, and I, I went to work for on assignment. Yeah, and uh, they were they were they were a, a wonderful company. They, they really were. They, mm-hmm. they treated me like, like, like gold, and, and I, I, I couldn't leave. And Peter Damaris, the, the CEO at the time, was was just a, a real inspiration mm-hmm. and somebody you really just want to get to know and be friends with. Right. And uh, and we still are, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I rose, I, I think I won of a $2.4 billion size company. I, I was the first person to have won vice president of the year um, twice. Wow. Um, the company started in 1956, but I actually won it three times. In three years. So yeah, it was really, Did they really, take well, a, take a bow. Right? Um, <laughs> and I'd never been, I guess for me, I'd never been recognized really. Cause it was always you. And it was always me yeah. and it was, it was really neat. And I will say that's one thing about coming into a company, especially a healthy company mm-hmm. with good people is that recognition made, you know, definitely, mm-hmm. um, definitely gave me some confidence mm-hmm. for my next venture. Yeah. Which was called, uh, Harmony Healthcare. Okay. And that was the last one. And, uh, yeah. and Harmony, um, Harmony started on on an opportunity. Like, um, what year is this? This would be uh, 19... Uh, no, this would be... Uh, excuse me. Uh, 2000 and Harmony would be 2010. Okay. I left... Right. On assignment in 2010, I actually started the company in 2011. Okay. Uh, I had a non compete. Right. Um, and I wanted to be respectful to on assignment. Mm-hmm. But what happened in, in macros not to get too into the weeds, but um, International Code Designation 9, which has 13,000 designation mm-hmm. codes, that means everything that can go wrong with the human body can be explained in 13,000 codes. Well, mm-hmm. the problem is, is it was 30 years old. They didn't even have MRI machines when they came out. So pe- doctors were no longer coding and nurses, uh, clinicians were no longer coding. What they're doing is they are writing. Hundred things underneath the code because right. none of it. I think when when IC9 came out, there were three types of cancer. Now there's like twenty three types twenty three different types of lung cancer. Right. So so that that maturation forced um, ICD9 to become ICD10. Mm-hmm. So we went from thirteen thousand codes to one hundred seventeen thousand codes. Mm. What Blue Cross and Blue Shield cor- correctly predicted was it would cause an absolute chaos and disaster within the medical records departments, because you now have to have coders that have to understand 117,000 codes instead of 13,000 codes. And there was no AI, there was no computer. There were encoders that helped. 3M does a wonderful encoder um, and a great client. Um, Who's the regulatory body who's determining 117,000 codes? CMS centers for
0: medicare services. Okay. because so wherever medicare that, goes the insurance the companies department follow. the department of health and human
1: services yeah, under the health and human services yes of yes. the United States government yep. okay so you have to follow them you do right, right. and the insurance companies have to follow mm-hmm. they follow their reimbursements they follow mm-hmm. all the all the rules and they, they because i think medicare now still accounts for about 60 i think it's 65% of all revenues into the healthcare system mm-hmm. in the country mm-hmm. so it was a single payer mhm yeah. You're going to listen to what they right. say. You're going to do what they say. <laughs> right. So um, I recognize that coding production would slow down. Scarcity. Mm-hmm. I recognize coders uh, would, a lot would retire. The average age was, I think at that point, 57, 58 years old. Isn't that young? N- not to have to learn a whole new business. Oh, I see. So if you're 50, okay. 57, as a medical records coder, you're going to decide, I'm just going to walk away. Right. It right. tends to be second incomes anyways, yep. they, um, mm-hmm. a, a highly female dominated, which is something. Can I make a side note? Yeah. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes things go, um, and I guess that's where I can get into a little bit of my Christianity. But sometimes things go well. And when I got into medical organs coding, I got into it because of scarcity. I got into it because um, of the baby boom population. Mm-hmm. I get oh, I had a lot of really good scientific reasons mm-hmm. for getting into it. But what I didn't realize was the people that were the coders. These were ninety percent women. 60, 70% minorities. Mm-hmm. They were women that had been divorced, that had been pushed around. They had been bullied their whole lives. And these gals went out and got a college education or high-level certification. They had to volunteer to get the job. And they were now in, a, in an area that they were being rewarded. Mm-hmm. Their compensation had gone from $8 an hour mm-hmm. to, um, guys, by 2016, we were paying $42 an hour.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So they went from the basement, which mm-hmm. is where most medical records were based because mm-hmm. fire burns up, <laughs> to literally now it's electronic to the tops of of mm-hmm. office buildings, Class mm-hmm. A office space. Mm-hmm. So it, it was one of the one of the great pleasures and, and, and great moments of my career was that our demographics. We were asked by we were asked one time by one of our clients. Um, they said, "Well, you know, we need to understand what your demographics are in your company because you know you have to you have to be you know, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, correctly, in- inclusive. correctly inclusive, directly diverse, right? Yeah. So I send in, I send in, they have to send in, in compensations and demographic. So imagine my demographic. I've got a workforce of hundreds and hundreds of people. Sixty seven percent of my workforce are w- minority women that are making over hundred thousand dollars a year. It was." Awesome. They actually sent back saying they didn't believe us and wanted to do an <laughs> right. audit and we had to actually go through an audit because <laughs> right. the, it, it just, uh, but anyway, it's just a side, it's a sidebar and, a, and yeah, it's that, just a, a wonderful, wonderful moment mm-hmm. that, 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 that happened and that these were such wonderful people and people I could respect. So mm-hmm. I wasn't just in industry I was making money at, I was in industry where I had tremendous respect for the people that were in that industry, which is really cool. So a lot of people don't talk about, um, the human
0: element um, of combining work and life. And I say here at, at our company, GIPR, there is no delineation between work and home, work and life. It's just life. And you should be treated well both places because they're very much part of your life. So you can't go to work somewhere for eight hours a day And now it's like 10 hours a day um, and go home and like forget everything that happened at work. It's very much part of that. And it sounds like you subscribe to that and instilled that in a population that normally wasn't paid attention to beforehand.
1: So uh, this is where I guess I'll get a little deep. Um, So I had tremendous loyalty in my employees. We had incredibly low turnover. I mean, I think the last can be Harmony, we didn't have a, a single person leave because of productivity issues for the first seven or eight years. Mm. And that's going from one employee to about 800. <laughs> right. Um, corporate office had 70 people. Um, very, very proud of that. What's interesting was it didn't come from what today is popular, you know, appeasement, appeasement, appeasement. It was the exact opposite my system was on accountability
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I will see something about where are we at Gen X Gen Z what are these what are the younger people now whether 20 mid20s late 20s people Z okay yeah my, my concern with Gen Z is that <laughs> we in our society have taken the, the victim culture um, and populated it by our own our own citizens. What we've allowed to happen is that if you are a victim or if you have been victimized, that you can hold on to that victimization and almost uh, enable it to manage you and your life. Um, We are all victims. We've all been victimized. We all have a story to tell. It's the people that take their super strength, uh, their, their, their super capability of being a victim and don't use it. Use it as the victim and don't say, no, this is the victim I was. This is where I want to be. Victim to victorious, as my wife would say. Mm-hmm. And so I struggle today with the model I had only two or three years ago mm-hmm. that would it work today? I would typically take, I would bring in people without to sell. And these are people that if they're successful in their second, third year, fourth year, make $200,000, $300,000, mm-hmm. $500,000 a year. It's a lot of money. For right college. One year, maybe Mm -hmm. you're selling uh, office equipment Mm -hmm. and you come... And you, c- and we find out about you, and we mm-hmm. interview. We have a very specific interviewing process. <laughs> but it was based on my investment. I was going to take about the next year and a half and make nothing on you. I was probably going to pay you sixty to you know eighty thousand dollars a year back then. This several years ago, mm-hmm. as a base, and we were going to lose money on you for the next year, year and a half, two years. Because we knew in two years, three years, if you may applied these things, you were going to produce for us, and you were going to have a mm-hmm. career, and we we're going to rock mm-hmm. your world and change your life. And as it happened many, many times. Today, I worry. That our accountability-based metrics are holding people to what they need to do are holding people that would backfire on me and that would be seen with resentment mm-hmm. instead of instead of accomplishment, mm-hmm. and uh, that that concerns me for today. Mm-hmm. That concerns me. Sorry, well, bibbidi tribe, but but uh, it's it's a great the victim the victim culture and the ability for young people today to hold on to that victimhood is it is a very sad thing for them mm-hmm. because there's a whole world out there that that victim or victimization could turn them into, you know, into a superhero. So being a CEO and a leader of your company and you would run into employees
0: because you're a very kind, caring, hands-on CEO,
1: how do you address that with them? First of all, I've never, I never had an office my entire career. I've never had, I've always sat on the bullpen with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do believe that when you go, I go and mm-hmm. we pull together. Um, and I'm no different than you are. I just have a different job. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think that would gain some respect, mm-hmm. but no, it, it, there are people, some people you can't reach.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some people are so lost in themselves and their own woe that they don't realize that the power is within them to turn themselves around. It's mm-hmm. going to take. Discipline, mm-hmm. hard work, and a few tears, mm-hmm. maybe driving up I 75. <laughs> um, right. But um, the people you do reach, the people you turn around, mm-hmm. are 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 the ones that you hold on to. And I'm thinking now, in my brain, as I, I go through, I've got hundreds of names popping in my head right now <laughs> that could give you just so many right. stories of, of people that have turned their lives around, people that turn turned their families' lives around mm-hmm. with the income they make and what they've ended up doing. And um, I've always said to people, uh, you know, I've helped buy a lot of houses and, mm. and, Babies and right. and cars and please don't tell me you're buying stuff. babies. No, <laughs> help people have babies. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> um, and careers and things. And I think that's probably the... That's right. I, I've often said the greatest uh, the greatest thing about my career is is that I was able to elevate other people mm-hmm. while they elevated me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great.
0: And so um, I remember you and I met when you were I I would say towards the last couple of years of you being ceo and you describing to me i think it's time to sell and you actually brought in a new ceo how was that um and this is this is before a potential sale
1: right i had um i had a personal um uh, a personal tragedy um as did my son hunter um, mm-hmm. our uh, my 18 year old daughter uh, in 2017 died of a, 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 a sickness that um it was really sad and not her fault and um and i really struggled uh, for the next three years i will say that i think i was a bit of an exaggeration of myself uh, feedback i heard from employees is that i was a bit o- uh, could be a bit over the top i didn't have the same level of of uh, sensitivity that i, I thought i should have um towards that uh, to, towards probably towards everybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and so I I made the decision that that it, this isn't what I wanted to do with my life right now at mm-hmm. uh, this time so I, I I stayed for three years and then I fortunately met a Met a, a fellow who was referred to me, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a good story. So, uh, I get referred to this consultant that came out of the staffing business, but he came out of the big billion dollar sized companies, mm-hmm. and he had grown within the billion dollar sized companies. Where I was the little guy, right <laughs> and I was a, I was a scrapper, um, right. like a Baker Mayfield of staffing. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> we love Baker. Right. So, um, anyways, the um, um, so so I brought him in. Because I was really disappointed that my lead, handpicked leadership team, and I've been with these guys 10 years, mm-hmm. and I, I brought them up from staff level, mm-hmm. and, and they really were not maturing. They were doing what I wanted them to do, but they weren't kind of adding more. Mm-hmm. And I came to the conclusion, how could they add more when I'm the only voice they've ever heard? I'm their only teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and how much more do I really have to teach them after mm-hmm. 10 years? So um, so I'm, I brought in a consultant, and I said, look, here's my problem. You know, they're not growing. I want to hand this off to someone I'm not sure I want to sell. Mm-hmm. I might just want to hand it off to mm-hmm. my right-hand person, mm-hmm. right-hand, left-hand person. Mm-hmm. And um, and I said, I want you to come in and do an analysis. So he goes, okay, I'll come in and I'll interview everybody and I'll give you a full analysis. So it took him about a month. He comes back with analysis. that Dave, I, I tell you, it read word <laughs> for word of my analysis. It took me 10 years, took him a month. Okay. Um, but literally, and and one of the things that came through was I'm too available. Mm. I'm answering questions. I'm not letting them take things on. I'm not letting them answer questions. I'm jumping into every conversation. Remember, I'm on the floor. I don't even have a, an right. office. And, um, and after some thought, um, I felt that this person who was a consultant would be a really ideal um, to take the company through uh, through the process, through the sale, while also giving the people there a different voice and perhaps giving them the chance that even in an acquisition, they would end up running the place. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, he came in. He, he, this fellow had sold a couple of companies and been involved and we hired a firm and they ended up finding a, a buyer, a uh, mm-hmm. wonderful organization, Addison Group. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think they do a billion dollars in revenue and staffing, which is amazing. Right, right. Um, and, They're not uh, running out of money. And the, the <laughs> specific agreement was that they were impressed with my team after being under Randy for two years yeah. uh, and uh, the fellow took over. And um, and they end up appointing one of them as the new CEO or the mm-hmm. division vice president, mm-hmm. whatever they call him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it, 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 that was the right that was the right decision. So I always thought of it two ways. I figured, look, in the short run, um, it may I may look I may look bad. Because, you know, we're transitioning over and we're selling the company and all this, but in the Mm -hmm. long run, I think three, five years, 10 years down the road, will they look back and say they were better for it? Um, They learned from it. They grew from it. And Mm -hmm. the nice thing is now I'm getting feedback now that is pretty positive.
0: Yeah, it's, it's cool because um, I just spoke to someone who works with CEOs um, and he, you know, gives them feedback and guidance. And one of his CEOs is a fortune 100 CEO. And... He told the CEO, he's like, you're an expert in some of the portions of your business, but your job is to look to the future. And just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you should be doing it all the time, that you should be available all the time. And, and so they made an arrangement that the CEO is going to work on. Eighty percent of his time will be on new efforts, you know, looking into the future. How do they grow? And twenty percent will be what he's already good at, because if he's just good at something already, then they're not growing.
1: You know that, that's that's super well said because mm-hmm. that was my decision. Mm-hmm. Was I going to reinvent myself, refortify myself with what these people needed from me? Mm-hmm. That 80%, they've mm-hmm. already seen the 20% for 10 years. Right. hundred okay, percent of 20%, okay. Um, but they've seen it all for 10 years. Um, or are they going to, or am I not gonna do this? Mm-hmm. And I think as a younger person, um, I'm 59 right now, but I was 56, For the first time, is a, 59 a, for the first time. For the first time. <laughs> um, I think, I, think I, I I came to the clues that just wasn't where I could go. Yeah. And that's when I decided to bring Randy. But you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. It was exactly the inflection point that I was at. Is I mm-hmm. needed to either rededicate myself to these people mm-hmm. and I need to give them a bold and different way. Mm-hmm. Or I needed to step aside and let someone who could give them a bold and different way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think you would say your largest
1: miss was on the last company, Harmony? I think I could have, uh, could have stepped into an office a few years earlier.
0: Mm. I, think See, I, go- I find that really interesting. I'm sorry to, I'm interrupting you. I just find it so interesting that, um, we want this culture of communication and togetherness and we're, we're growing and we're working and together and, and everyone including yourself is saying I should have been away
1: mm-hmm. more. I should have been right. I should have let my leadership team make more decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have been less involved but and, and part of it, I'll ask for a little forgiveness. I, <laughs> I'm the little guy right I'm the I'm the David with the sling and a rock. So um just as I didn't recognize I could have u- used debt as leverage mm. to grow other companies, I mean if I hadn't have sold insights on an assignment and I had kept it that whole period of time um I, I mean I think we would have sold for more like half a billion dollars right. Right. So well, that's what the B. be. Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't. So I, I think I had two misses. I think one, I, I, I should have let go earlier and let my people, um, find out whether they could or couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part was I, I, um, I should have, um, I should have recognized that my, my shortcomings earlier mm-hmm. and my shortcomings were in, in the financial side of the business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's interesting. Finance. Finance, financial. finance. Yeah. We, um, you
0: know, here, and you know our team really well. Um, I always hire smarter people than me. Like Steve jobs has a saying, you know, I don't hire smart people so I can tell them what to do. I hire smart people so they can tell me what to do. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I constantly get feedback from people outside of our company. Like, you know, Emily, she's amazing. Like she really put that whole deal together. You know, Bobby has been such a, you know, a lot of fun to talk to and he's really good at his job. And I'm just like, I don't even know these things are happening. All, most of the time. And like, you know, stuff just kind of like magically happens. And then everyone kind of reels me in and it's like, no, they're, you know, you set the tone and you taught them and now they're growing and and they're
1: growing into themselves. And that's what I could have done better.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's where I, that's where I, I could have done better. Um, the, uh, and there were other there are other things opportunities I didn't jump on I perhaps uh, brought in two main investors in the last company I mean there, there are some things but at, at the end of the day all things happen the way they should
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, and I, I you, know, you can't you can't complain about when things turn out as, as well as they did that's right which they did three successful exits is uncommon
0: you know that I've been told yes <laughs> <laughs> right you know people start and Maybe sell you know some of their companies they're usually not all wins like they they bake losses in there
1: you know like some will work, some won't work we lost what many we well, lost many a battle within the war, but yes we if you consider starting three companies as going to war, I won three wars that's right but there were a lot of battles and there were a lot For of sure. uh a lot of good people that were that were lost during those during those uh charges right.
0: Um, Okay. You're 59. You are an average golfer. (laughs) (laughs) I heard average golf is like 100, man. Okay. (laughs) Um, But that big brain of yours isn't going to be
1: idle forever because you have a long time to go. Well, what I've been doing, um, and it's really, it, it's really, um, neat is I've gotten involved with the university of South Florida mm-hmm. and I will say that, that one of the things out of college, Your alma mater. where right. I went to school. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that, that's another thing I want to say is yeah. that, that anybody can do this because here's a, here's a guy who went to the university of sun and fun goals <laughs> and, uh, and pulled off a 3.2 grade point average goals <laughs> and somehow still <laughs> sit, right. sit before you today. Um, the, what I'm doing is I, I uh, have realized, and I think you've realized, it, that the application of college education, unless you get a specific degree accounting, engineering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that you are basically not going to be directly applicable to anything. Mm-hmm and that's the most difficult thing i think about college degree is that that do you go into it saying how am i going to apply this degree to what i'm going to do and how am i going to get there Mm -hmm. and i don't think a lot of kids do that i don't think i did it Mm -hmm. um and back when we went to school there wasn't a lot of application. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not exactly, you might use regression analysis every day in your life, but I don't use regression analysis. I, don't use, <laughs> I, don't I, I haven't used PL1 or Fortran. <laughs> we had to learn that. I mean, I could go through. So most of them are just really, aren't they just really hurdles to stop you from graduating? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what they really are. Management science, I like can think of the classes. They were just hurdles to get your grade have so you wouldn't graduate. So they made it tougher and more elitist to graduate. <laughs> Um, so most of the universities around the country have, have looked at that and said, we've really lost something of what we're supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. they built, most of them have built now um, bachelor's, uh, master's, and even doctor degrees in entrepreneurialism. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you build a doctorate degree in entrepreneurialism? Right, because you fail a lot more. Right. <laughs> so so what these schools have come up with right. is is real teaching of real courses by, by people that have been leaders in communities, uh, in their communities, CEOs, um, mm-hmm. and, and other, other types that come in and actually teach the class and the classes are directly applicable to running, starting, replicating mm-hmm. a business, getting it out of the garage. Mm-hmm. I, I always, uh, one of the things I always talk of is getting the business out of the garage, getting mm-hmm. from a one man operation to a multi-person operation. Mm-hmm. There are very specific steps you can do to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not that difficult, but you have to do mm-hmm. it. Um, so that's what I've been spending a lot of my time doing right now. I think I've got seven or eight entrepreneurs under kind of my wing. I'm actually having a coffee with uh, three of them at 4 o'clock today. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They invented a, a, a sensor under a mattress that can give weight and body fat and body composition. So like in nursing homes and home health agents, or not home health, well, home health, but yeah. uh, hospices, they don't have to get them out of bed to stand up to the scale. And get, they just get the sensors from this cool technology. That's These neat. were USF students that, yeah. that that saw a pattern somewhere in the basement at USF and said, Hey, this could be something. Um, so yeah, they have a school now. Um, and, uh, so I've become part of that. So that, that's been great. That's great. That's been great. Chris Brown. We are so thankful that you spent some time with us today. Thank you.
0: Um, we love bringing in people who not only have had success stories, but are very willing to talk about the arduous process to get to that success. And a lot of people don't understand that part.
1: So. The, 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 in closing, Mike, Mike the, the one thing I'd pass on is that your superpower is your greatest strength, and your ability to overcome that—what you think, what you think—is mm-hmm. your greatest weakness—is really where you can go in the future. Yeah. And that—that's the—that's the, the, the one point I try and make with all the entrepreneurs that I talk to: is whatever your greatest fear is is actually your greatest strength. Mm-hmm. Let's make it your greatest strength. That's cool. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Isaac. All right.